Uh, there is a sermon outline in your order of services. Uh, you might want to pull that out. Uh, that might be helpful for you uh, as we follow along, as we continue uh, our Philippians series that we started last week. Let me actually pray for us. Gracious God, we do thank you that you reveal and that you speak in and through your word. We do want to pray us as we open up the Bible this Lord's Day, uh, this third week of the new year. We do pray and ask that by your spirit, you might give us not just a clear understanding of your word, but that you might actually bring it to bear on our hearts and our lives. And we ask this for the glory of your name and our ever-abounding joy in the Lord Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. Church, I don't know if you've realized this, but your spiritual depth and your spiritual maturity uh, can actually be measured by how you respond to adversity in life, how you respond to disappointment in the Christian life, how we respond when the rising tide of pain and suffering actually meets us, uh, how we respond when our plans in life are disrupted, uh, how we respond uh, to disappointment and unmet expectations in our lives, how we respond really, and whether we're able to actually respond with joy uh, when we meet pain and suffering in life, when the flood waters overwhelm us in life. And so spiritual maturity can be measured by your measure of joy in life's worst circumstances. That's how you measure spiritual maturity according to the book of Philippians. So what I want to do with you, uh, in, with your Bibles in front of you, if you have a look with me, is to spend some time with you this morning <clears throat> letting the scriptures remind you of how we are to respond joyfully when, it, when we meet personal challenges in our lives. Uh, when we meet challenges as a church, whatever comes your way this year, because I don't know what will come your way this year. Because what you're going to find uh, in these opening verses that Libby read for us is a picture of Paul finding joy in what most of us would consider an impossible situation. Uh, not a situation that we would consider conducive to serving Jesus. Uh, not a situation conducive to being thankful or being joyful or happy, right? And it was certainly not a situation that the Philippians would have rejoiced in. Uh, they loved Paul. They supported Paul. Uh, they were partners with, with him in the gospel. Uh, and one expects Paul to long for their sympathy, uh, to long to be, to be overcome by a situation, to be depressed. And yet Paul in this letter calls the Philippians to find joy, to share in his joy, even in his very difficult circumstances. And, and what you find is that Paul's joy is not determined by his circumstances. Uh, his joy uh, isn't controlled or, or shaped or influenced by his situation in life. His joy is unchained to life circumstances. Okay? So that's one of the big things I hope you pick up today. Uh, Paul's joy is unchained to his life circumstances. So uh, in your Bibles, you might want to look with me. Uh, verse 12 to verse 13, this is Paul's perspective on his chains. I want you to understand his position in life. Uh, Paul wrote this letter not from a, a place of strength. Uh, he didn't write this letter from a place of comfort or affluence or convenience or freedom. In fact, Paul wrote this letter from a place of weakness, uh, from a position of long-standing hardship and physical abuse in his life. Uh, he writes from a position of being unjustly dealt with. He writes, and you'll see that word there, as a man in chains. Can you see there? Freedom taken from him. Okay. Now, what's surprising is that 
Paul, even though, and you can see the line, verse 12, verse, even though he is in chains, one of the things that runs through the book of Philippians is the call to joy. Uh, he writes and he calls the Philippians to share in his joy despite his circumstances. And so we saw that last week, chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayers with joy. Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, which is what we'll see uh, in the coming weeks. I rejoice and share my joy with all of you. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, rejoice in the Lord, he says. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord again. And again, he says, I will say rejoice. And so as you come to verse 12, notice with me, with me this is the circumstances he finds himself in. I'll have a look. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. I am a prisoner for Christ. Now, chains, I think is the key word there, right? Chains is the one word in chapter 1 that sums up Paul's experience in life. You see in verse 17, I, or verse 7, I am in chains. You see in verse 14, because of my chains. You see in verse 17, that was read for us, while I am in chains. You ever feel like you're in chains? Ever feel that? No, you, you might not literally be in chains, but you ever feel that? Basically stuck in life. How many of you ever felt that? That you've been stuck in life, right? At some point. Stuck in a place where there doesn't seem to be a future. Uh, stuck in a place where you can't see a way forward. Stuck in a place where you can't see any better option in front of you. No way out of a situation. Unable to change your circumstances. Maybe emotionally stuck and unable to get out of your mental state. Stuck. That's what it means to be in chains. Well, here Paul is stuck and he's in chains. Uh, he's in a situation that's pretty much crippling. Uh, that most would actually not see as an open door to serving Jesus or loving others. In fact, this is a place where you'd expect Paul not to radiate joy. And I tell you why, uh, if you know anything about the Apostle Paul, Paul was a, Paul is what I would call in the New Testament the startup guy, okay? He's the entrepreneur, right? Uh, because he was the guy who gets out and gets things done. And so this is the guy in the New Testament who's always out there charting new areas for mission. Uh, and so he's the pioneer. And so you think, this is actually the worst place to be. He's immobilized and he's confined. His plans have actually been derailed. His dreams have actually been crushed. But he's filled with joy. And so you've got to ask this question, right? What a strange response to rejoice in such circumstances. It certainly raises the question, doesn't it? You know, how, how can Paul be thankful and joyful, stuck in his present circumstances? Chained to a situation that most of us would actually not be rejoicing in. Calling people to rejoice in him rather, being, rather than to be sorry for him. Now, this is the reason why. Have a look at Paul's perspective on his chains. Look at verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, uh, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As he looks at, at his change, notice Paul says, I rejoice because what has happened to me in my change has served to make the Lord Jesus known. You see there? My life circum, my stuck circumstances has allowed me to make much of Jesus. You see there? All the more. 
Now, so often we look at our circumstances in life, we look at what's happening around us, uh, maybe our environment, the situation we're in, and we always do this, don't we? We all do it. We go, if the circumstances were right, if the circumstances were different, if things were more convenient, ah, then I'd be able to serve the gospel. Then I'd be more generous. Then I'd give to ministry. Then I'd love people. Then I'd use my gifts to serve the gospel. Then I'd be more joyful. Then I'd be more content. So often, when we find ourselves stuck in life, our lives are dictated by that phrase. If only, if only, if only. Have you ever found that in your life? That when you find yourself stuck, that that phrase keeps coming back in your life, right? If only, if only things are different. There's no way I can serve Jesus in my present situation. There's no way I can be involved in ministry at this stage of life. You know, once things are more secure, I'll give to Christian ministry. There's no way I can share the gospel in my current state. There's no way I can be more effective when I'm dealing with crisis in my life. There's no way I can serve. There's no way I can be useful until my circumstances change. Once my kids are older, once my work settles, once my finances are settled, once I have less responsibility, on and on it goes. Our lives are dictated by that phrase, if only, because we feel we're stuck, right? Now, you may not, might not realize this, but the circumstances you find yourself in always reveals where or what you find your joy in. Okay? The circumstances you find yourself in always reveals where or what you find your joy in. My lack of, uh, my lack of or my abounding in joy in my circumstances are often a reflection of what I've anchored in in my life, Okay? And, and, and so it's true of all of us in, in life, right? The fact that my joy in life goes up and down, okay? Think of last year. Joy in life always goes up and down. The fact that my joy in life, my hopes, my security, my confidence, they all go up and down. The fact that all those things can be dashed when circumstances change tells me that my joy in life is anchored in something else other than the Lord Jesus. And so look at your life right now. Just just. Just, just pause. Just look at your life like right now. Maybe the year gone past. When were you most unhappy? Or let me ask you a better question. When are you most unhappy? Not when were you, but when are you most unhappy? Well, often it's when something you've placed your joy and your security and your hope and confidence in has been stolen or threatened or taken away from you. Isn't that right? And so I want you to realize this. Uh, your circumstances in life and how you respond to it actually reveals where you have found your joy and hope and security and confidence in life. In fact, that's why what you're most ambitious of about in life is probably a reflection of where you've placed your joy. Now, look at Paul because look at how he views his circumstances. Look at verse 12. And here you find the reason why Paul is filled with joy even in his chains. Because here he is, he's chained to his circumstances, but what is most precious to him? What he most treasures is not chain. What he delights in is not bound. What he finds joy and hope and security and confidence in cannot be taken from him. He's chained to his circumstances, but the gospel, the Lord Jesus that he loves, is not chained. And it's given him the opportunity to make much of Jesus even more. Okay? Now, let's pause for a moment, right? The reason why... Our joy in life fluctuates, okay? The reason why our joy rises and falls with the changing circumstances is because 
our joy is often founded on what can actually be shaken, isn't it? What, is often, uh, what can often be stolen or is easily broken. So I'll give you an example. We're happy when we're healthy, but what happens when health fades, right? Uh, when you get a gym injury and you can't go to the gym, your joy drops. When we have money in the bank, we feel happy, but suddenly we have lots and lots and lots of unexpected bills and our joy drops. Um, when marriage is going well, we are happy, but when there's difficulty in our marriages and strife, our joy goes out the window. The same applies with our children, right? Our children are busy gaming. Our joy basically goes out the window. And I have to say that Jordan still games. Ronnie still games. In fact, Ronnie, Jordan, I have to say that uh, at least you only played with one generation. Ronnie is here today. You played with Ronnie and Enoch. And Enoch turned out well. He became a doctor. So don't worry. You can game and still, you know, those of you parents here, don't worry that your children are gaming, right? They can still end up as doctors because Enoch became a doctor. <laughs> okay. Uh, and so what happens is, but Ronnie has played, has gamed with almost every generation of extreme at Grace Point. He even gamed with my son, right? Which is like a, a generation, like even like bigger gap, right? And so it's all right. Those of you parents who are worried about your kids gaming, it's okay. They, they do turn out well, okay? But our joy is often tied up with our circumstances. So we think, oh, you know, children are not going well, and therefore our joy goes out the window. But Paul's joy is not chained to his circumstances because of his source of joy. Notice, I'm in chains, but Jesus remains my security, even in my weakness. I'm unjustly imprisoned, but Jesus remains my confidence. He's the rock that cannot be shaken. I'm in chains, but Jesus, whom I want to speak of, still gets a hearing. I'm in chains, but Jesus, who is my comfort, is present, even though I face impending death. And so what actually happened in Paul's life is people begin to see and they begin to hear Paul live and speak with confidence and joy in his unshakable treasure, even in his circumstances. That's how Jesus is made known in Paul's life. Now, you read verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me is actually served to advance the gospel. Can you see it there? It's, it's made Jesus known. It hasn't stopped the Lord Jesus from being made known in Paul's life. My chains have made it possible for people to come to hear and know and see the Lord Jesus. And so, it's, in effect, Paul is saying, I'm not stuck. My circumstances, as difficult as they are, have made it possible for others to see and know the Lord Jesus, right? To see and hear where my joy and hope and confidence and security in life really lies. Now, it's worth asking, isn't it? Are you able to say that in your circumstances? Are you able to say that when you feel that you're stuck in life? My circumstances, to say my circumstances are an opportunity to make much of the Lord Jesus, to show others where my joy and security and hopes and confidence actually lies in life. To show others, it's anchored there in Him, right? My sufficiency in my loneliness. To show others that He completes me when I feel I lack. He's my assurance and my fears. To show others, He's my riches when all has been taken from me. That's how Paul approached his situation in life. Now, we tend to do the reverse because we often want out of the situation. We want to be unstuck. Now, it's worth asking, right, which is more compelling? Which is more of a powerful witness to the people around you? Radiating and joy, speaking of Jesus, your security in your chains, or when all is well? 
radiating peace when you're stuck in life or when all is well. Notice everyone, I see it everywhere. I see it on Instagram, I see it on TikTok, I see it on Facebook. Uh, you know, often we only hashtag God is good, hashtag life is good when life looks good. Right? But we never do it, you know, when life deals as a lemon. But if you're a follower of Jesus, life is always good. God is always good. In all the circumstances of life. For Paul, it's the very circumstances that we least expect that has led to the Lord Jesus being made known in his life. It advanced the gospel. Now the word advance is a military word, okay? The picture is one of engineers who go ahead of the advancing army and they bulldoze, they clear a path. That's the picture here. It's a big word, isn't it? That's how Paul saw his situation. My circumstances has made it possible for a path to be bulldozed so that the Lord Jesus might be seen and heard even more clearly in my life. It overflowed. Okay? I'm not saying that Paul didn't feel emotional distress. Of course he did. You know, in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul speaks of how he experienced both joy and sorrow. Okay? Joy and grief. So they both coexisted in Paul's life. And so it's worth asking, right? When people meet you, when people speak of you, right, do they look at you and do they go, gee, how is it possible that you can be filled with such joy and hope and security and peace? How is, is it possible that you could care for others even in your circumstances? I mean, if you truly knew what you had in the Lord Jesus, it would empower your love and security and hope and confidence in life. If he is truly everything to you, more than the stuff that you possess, then steal the sunlight, but you still have the sun. Steal the streams of water, but you still have the ocean, don't you? Have you ever realized that? That's why in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, which we looked at a couple weeks ago, I mentioned it. Notice the gift of the gospel, the great gift of the gospel, 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ died for sin, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God, to give you God. God is the great gift of the gospel, not forgiveness of sin. Forgiveness of sin is a gift of the gospel, but it's not the great gift of the gospel, which is God himself, the source of every joy and happiness we seek the source of every love we long for, the source of every wealth we're trying to secure. He is the source, the creator, the pool, the sun, the ocean. That's why if you read the Psalms, and I do want to encourage you to read the Psalms this year, one of the good things you could do this year is like read the 150 Psalms, right? Fill Fill your heart, basically, with God. But Psalm 73, verse 25 to verse 26, you know, the psalmist, he says, Whom have I in heaven but you? Notice, what's the great great treasure in heaven? God. He says, earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My portion forever. Because the sun, the ocean, cannot be stolen from you. It cannot be robbed, broken, or taken from you. And so for Paul, his circumstances are really an opportunity 
cut away for the gospel to be seen in his life. The source of his security and hope and joy and confidence. Now, I want to say to you that there are, very, there are three common reactions, by the way, three different responses when life deals you a lemon, when you feel you're stuck, right? When bad things happen, it's there in your outline. I put them down for you. Because often when we find ourselves in difficult circumstances in life, when we find ourselves stuck, maybe your health fails, disappointment comes, friends abandon you, conflict explodes, financial pressure, maybe it's marital stress, maybe it's work difficulties, maybe it's unmet expectations. When we are put through the ringer and it causes us hardship, there's one of three responses. Okay? And I think we all fall into one of those three things. The first one is you can respond with anger, with aggression. You can bite back okay, in your circumstances. You can raise your fists and prepare for battle. You can get bitter and angry, and some people do. And the culture of our city works that way, right? You're encouraged to fight back. It's your right. You need to preserve your interests. You need to fight, get others on your side, right? So you tell others, you build an army to fight with you. You lash out at the person who's disappointed you. You crush the person who hasn't met your expectations. You focus on the person who's ripped us off, who ripped you off. Um, you make a note of all the things they've done and you work out how to get back at them. You know, they say, right? Don't get mad, get even. So that's one response in your, in your hardship and when you feel stuck in life, you lash out, you become angry, right? I told this story before. Uh, oh, it's not really a story, right? Uh, the joke about the, the guy who gets bitten by a dog and he's told by the doctor, right? He has rabies and frantically he starts to write and the doctor says, hey, why are you doing that for? You're not going to die because there's a cure for rabies. And he responds, I know there's a cure. I'm just making a list of people I'm going to bite. Right? So that's how some people respond, right? With aggression when they find themselves in very difficult situations in life. Now, there is a second response. You can respond with self-pity and disappointment. You can feel sorry for yourself and your circumstances. You know, you get together a pity party so that everyone feels sorry for you. You complain to, to anyone who will listen. Life isn't fair. Why me? Why has this happened to me? Bad things always happen to me. I always miss out. I deserve better. And so what happens is we wallow in our self-despondency. We think no one loves us. Or what I commonly hear, we say we have no friends. If you place yourself in a position of self-pity, it will cripple you. It will paralyze you. And like quicksand, it will consume you. And so... Our natural tendency is always to focus on our personal difficulties, our constraining circumstances, the things that are causing us grief. That's, that's our natural tendency. Uh, I told this story before, you know, David Jackman, who sometimes uh, used to speak in the past at Katoomba Convention, he tells the story of a public relations um, poster he saw for British Rail. You know, those posters you put you know, at the train stations or on buses and stuff like that. And so there was a huge sign with these words. 93% of our trains last month arrived on time. And to make the point, there were 100 trains on the poster. 93 red trains and 7 black ones. But right at the bottom of the poster, someone had graffitied with a marker, why do I always get the black one? You know, I think some of us are like that in life. We always respond with disappointment, and it crushes us. We give up. We're so overwhelmed, we just stop trying. Why bother with godliness? Why bother serving Jesus? Why care for others? So those are the two major responses. 
But there's a third one. You can find joy in what is more permanent, what is more secure, what is more unfailing in your circumstances. You can let the circumstances actually drive you to find your joy and security and confidence in Jesus such that he's made known before others. That's why later on in verse 21, you read, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Live or die, I win. Because the sun cannot be taken from me. The ocean cannot be taken from me. Safe in the arms of Jesus. If I have him, I have everything, which is to his praise because others actually see that. It's seen and it's heard in your life. Now here's a question that's worth asking. Let's just pause for a moment. Okay? When people think of you, when people think of you, when your spouse thinks of you, when your friends think of you, do they think mainly about your problems, your issues, your circumstances, your complaining? Or when they think of you, do they see in you someone who radiates an unwavering peace because of Jesus, even in your circumstances? When they think of you, do they see in someone a contentment, even in your circumstances, because you're a follower of Jesus? Do they see in you someone who is persevering in godliness, even in your circumstances, because you know the Lord Jesus? Do they see in you someone who overflows unfailing love for others like Jesus, even in your circumstances? It's worth asking, isn't it? When people think of you, do they think mainly about your problems, your issues, your circumstances, your complaining? Or do they see in you someone who is a non-anxious presence because you know the Lord Jesus? You know, that actually says a lot about you and where you've anchored. Paul, he could have been angry, disappointed, bitter with his, in his circumstances because his plans were derailed. But even after his string of lemons in life, he calls what most people would call a setback and advance. You know, when our kids were small, um, we didn't just read the kids' version of the Pilgrim's Progress. I've told this story before. We often watched the cartoon version of the, of the life of John Bunyan, the guy who wrote the Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, John Bunyan was an English pastor, but um, he was jailed, basically, in, the, in 17th century England because... Effectively, he preached the gospel, right? And so what better way to silence the gospel than to lock a man up? And so he refused to be silent. And so what he would do is, because he was stuck uh, within the confines of the prison, what he would do is he would preach the gospel in the courtyard, to not just to the captive prisoners, but soon people caught on, oh, John Bunyan is back preaching, because he was a very popular preacher. And so all around Bedford, people from the country would bet countryside, they would gather outside the prison wall so they could hear him preach. People came. So this is what the authorities decided. The next time, the next day, they decided they would place him in a cell within the walls of the prison to silence him. So you can't speak to anyone at that point. And so what does John Bunyan do? You sort of think, you know, he could have fallen into despondency. He could have been angry. Because, you know, here, here he is not using his gifts to serve God. But in that little cell, John Bunyan began writing. And that's when John Bunyan actually spoke the loudest, actually, 
For 12 years he was stuck in that cell, he penned The Pilgrim's Progress. This great Christian classic that uh, Christians have read, in fact, non-Christians have read as well, uh, that has brought the good news of Jesus to generations. Uh, And so Pilgrim's Progress is a reflection of Bunyan's joy and security and confidence and hope in prison. It elevated Jesus in his trials. What people are not aware is that for the 300 years that followed Bunyan, that book was the most widely read and translated book in the world, second to the Bible. People don't realize that. They stopped his preaching, they put him in chains, they limited his freedom, yet he continued to make the Lord Jesus known. Bunyan was not bound by his chains or his circumstances in life. And so for Paul, whatever the situation, the question in his mind was always this, how can this situation be made to be used to make much of the Lord Jesus? So that others actually witness Christ in my life, right? How can this situation be used for me to radiate joy and hope and security in the Lord Jesus? How can I show others that I found my peace and my wealth in Him, right? How can this situation be used to to find my confidence in Him so that others will see that nothing can derail me in life? This is how it worked in Paul's life, right? Basically in Paul's life, uh, notice verse 13. Uh, This is how it worked. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. Okay? So this is how it worked in Paul's life. Because for 24 hours a day, Paul would have been chained to a Roman soldier. Uh, 18 inches between him and his guard. They each served six-hour shift. This happened for two years. He was under house arrest. So every six hours, a new soldier comes he gets chained to Paul, and then you sort of begin to wonder who's really the prisoner at that point, because if you're chained to Paul for six hours, you can sort of imagine what happens. Because he doesn't just speak of the Lord Jesus, I think he radiates joy. He radiates security. He radiates peace. He radiates hope. He radiates confidence. You become Paul's captive audience, not just in the seeing of his life, but the hearing of the gospel. And that's what you begin to witness. You see, often, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, Christians are only joyful when their jobs are going well, when they're healthy, when life is good, when they have money and big houses, when their kids are doing well academically. And I'll be honest with you, when you're joyful because of those things in your life, there's nothing impressive about that. There's nothing attractive about that because the, the world outside looks at you and they don't, they don't see anything different because that's how the world operates. You're joyful when life is good. You're joyful when circumstances are good. But you know, when you radiate joy and confidence and security and peace, when you radiate unconditional love, when your world is falling apart, when the tide of adversity has swept you and overwhelmed you, when you are sick, when you are unjustly treated, when you are dealt cruel blows in life, and when in those circumstances you radiate joy and immovable hope and secure confidence and unwavering peace, you know the... The world outside looks at you and they see something very different. Because it raises the question of your life, how is it possible that you could have joy in such circumstances? What do you have that allows you to know hope when your circumstances are crushing? How can you know such confidence and peace in such adversity? And slowly but surely... The world looks in and says to you, I want that. I want to know that. 
That's what you witness in Paul, and that's what Paul says to the Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice with me in my circumstances, because the gospel is being made known. Christ is being magnified. And so with Paul, as these unbelieving soldiers, as they come and go, one of the things that actually happens, uh, when you get to Philippians chapter 4, you discover the gospel has gone from where Paul is to the very place no one thought it would go, the palace of Caesar himself. And so when you get to chapter 4, verse 22, you discover the gospel has infiltrated, uh, a way has been cut open for the gospel to advance beyond the four walls of Paul's house arrest to the very heart of the empire himself. Because the guards who guarded Paul, traditionally, they're part of the Praetorian Guard, which means that they return basically to Caesar's palace. Let me say a few things by way of conclusion. I want to say that you and I, we're not immune to the tidal wave of adversity and pain, or suffering, or disappointment, or loss. And the circumstances you find yourself in in life will either cripple you if you respond and wallow in in bitterness and anger and self-pity and disappointment, or the circumstances you find yourself in will be an opportunity to find your joy and security and hope and peace and confidence in the Lord Jesus, what is most secure, such that others around you will see and know that the Lord Jesus is everything to you the sun that cannot be taken from you, the ocean that cannot be taken from you. So maybe you feel stuck in life as you start the new year. Maybe you're disappointed with things. Maybe the new year isn't as promising for you because of some situation, I don't know. Maybe you feel stuck right now. Or maybe you're not stuck. But it may come this year where you find yourself in a place of pain and loss and disappointment. Can I say to you this morning, don't waste your circumstances. Paul was never chained to his circumstances because his joy, his security, his hope, his confidence was never chained to his circumstances. It was anchored in the Lord Jesus, the sun, the ocean. It's worth reflecting on. When people think of you, Do they think mainly of your problems, your issues, your circumstances, your complaining? Or when they think of you, do they see in you someone who radiates an unwavering peace because of Jesus? A secure contentment because of Jesus. A perseverance because of Jesus. An unfading love for others because of Jesus. A confidence because of the Lord Jesus, even in your circumstances. Now, the way you answer that question today actually tells you whether you are chained or unchained to your circumstances in life. It tells you where you've truly found your happy place in life. You know, we all have happy places in life. For some people, the happy place is their garden. For some people, the happy place is their car. You know, all sorts of things, right? But you know, if you're a Christian, it tells you that you can always be in a happy place, even in an unhappy place. Do you realize that? Because it tells you where you've anchored and found your joy, your security, your hope, your peace, your confidence in life. Let me pray for us. Jasper and the team will lead us in a couple of songs of response. Gracious God, we do come to you. 
And we come in a spirit of repentance. Because often when we meet life's adversity, when we find ourselves stuck, often we either respond in anger or we respond in despondency. And we know that's wrong. Because you have given us much more in the Lord Jesus. You have brought us to know the Son whose radiance is unending. You have brought us to know the endless ocean of love and compassion and wealth and security and peace. We pray and we ask that as we start the new year, we might find ourselves anchored, not just in the right place, but in the right person, the Lord Jesus, in whom are found the riches and the treasures of heaven and life itself. And so God, our Father, we do pray and ask that you might help us to think and reflect deeply so that we might reorient our lives so that whatever the circumstances we might always find, our joy and our security, our hopes and our confidence in the Lord Jesus so that it radiates in our lives for others to see and hear. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.